Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's Around the House. Yeah, I, I think one of the ways I start the conversation on that is I, te I tell people when they ask, do you animal test? And I said, absolutely not. I only test on humans. And of course, that, <laughs> that gets a little bit of a smile and a little bit of a, what do you mean by that test on humans? But what, what, what that really means is absolutely what we did. And this is kind of the, the whole point of the AFM product line is we started with the idea that there's a problem with sensitivities and we need to figure out how we can build a product line that doesn't exacerbate that chemical sensitivity threshold. And the way we did that, because the original founder was himself sensitized and... When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G in Caroline B, your source for home improvement every single weekend. Thanks for joining us today. Well, we're going to paint the town today, right, Caroline? Yeah, we are going to paint the town today with Jay Watts from AFM. Welcome, Jay. How are you? I am good. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. Welcome. Paint Welcome, the town. Man. Well, that's that's what we do. I mean, it's one of the things we do. Caroline, you know, you and I have talked before uh, in other shows. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've we've been around a long time doing that, trying to help people build healthfully. Uh, that's mm -hmm. the the whole point. I think that's what you focus on in your discussions with the people you interview, and and so yeah. Um, just real quickly, uh, my background came came from uh, basically an art background. Uh, my my degree is in is in graphic design and marketing and and that's uh kind of a roundabout way got involved with afm many many years ago because they hired my firm to help them brand themselves and market their whole concept back then and this is the uh, i'm gonna say the late 80s early 90s uh the original afm founder who was in riverside california uh was working on formulas that were going to be safer designed for people who were struggling with allergies or what's called chemical sensitivities. And at that, that time, people didn't really understand what that meant. Uh, it basically it's you're exposed either occupationally over a, a long period of time at a lower level, or you're exposed in a massive way by some accidental chemical spill or exposure, and then your immune system uh, gets overwhelmed and you're not able to tolerate uh, those intruders again if you're exposed to them. Uh, in extreme cases, uh, it's really debilitating. Uh, I know I, some auto body guys that are painters that have run into that. Oh, a good yeah. example. It's, it's real. Hair it's predominant in too, the, like women who work in hair salons, very bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's also uh, in the construction trades, uh, carpet layers. It's a big problem with them. Certainly painters are ex exposing themselves to it all the time. 
because there was no one dealing with the problem and the owner, the original founder of AFM actually became sensitized himself, duh. You know, he was working with those kind of coatings <laughs> as, as just what's called a toll manufacturer. So the toll manufacturer, you can come in and say, hey, make me this, make me that, whatever. And, mm-hmm. and he'll do it now, of course, in California, we have fairly strict uh, regulations now about, you know, outdoor air quality protection, the South Coast Air Quality Management District. Eric, you probably have heard that before. Yep. Um, they're the ones that manage our, our all the uh, industrial coatings manufacturers in, in the region. And they have the strictest or one of the strictest regulations in the country. So everyone kind of looks at us to see what's going on. So he had to comply with that. But at the same time, he wasn't really on the page of building safe, non-toxic coatings. It was more like, how much does it cost and how effective is it? Does it work? Uh, Don't worry about the off-gassing mom paw kettle. Don't worry about that because it'll eventually go away and you'll be fine. And, and, you know, that kind of is the same story a little bit, not so much anymore because, you know, consumers are much more aware now about what they don't want to be around. So a a general contractor who comes in and maybe tries to sell that idea, hey, I'm going to use this product because I know it works really well. I've been using it for 30 years. I've got to use it because if you ask me to use something else that I don't know about, I'm going to get all kind of wonky and, and, and you know, I can't guarantee my work. And Oh, it so happens every day. Yeah. And so, so now people are saying, well, wait a minute, you know, I, I've been reading, I understand. And probably even more compelling is they know someone, they have a friend or a family member or somebody that's been exposed that is quote unquote, you know, chemically sensitive. And they have heard the horror story and they don't want to go there. So then they, they have to get into a dialogue and, you know, a lot of the contractors are coming around now. I don't want to, you know, blackball all of them, but the younger guys that are getting into the industry now, there's just more people asking for, it's common sense in my mind. Don't we want, don't we want to live in a place where we can breathe and we have healthier indoor air? Heck yeah. I mean, it's not like we have to think about that too long. It's like, that makes perfect sense. Well, it's funny, Jay, because you know I've been in the in the residential remodeling and construction industry as a designer for thirty years, and I find myself on the interwebs on social media arguing with other contractors that are about my age, going, "Well, I've been doing it this way for thirty years," and I more than once have caught myself typing, "Well, you've been doing it wrong for thirty years," and just because you've been doing it for 30 years doesn't mean maybe you're doing it right or there's not a better way to do it now. Yeah. You know what Andy Pace says, you know, Andy, you guys know Andy. Oh, right? yeah. So Andy, what Andy says there, he says, yeah, I understand that, but I've been playing golf for 30 years and I, I don't know that I know that game any better now than I did back then. So I think it's an interesting comparison. <laughs> it's not Tiger Woods. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Well, you know, Eric, you know, um, being a contractor, you get, you get in the groove, man. You get in the yeah. groove, you get in the groove with your products, you know what they're going to do, you know how to bid jobs, you know what to expect. And, yeah. and of course, the, what the big worry is, they don't want to hear, you got to come back. Oh, you oh, got, yeah. you got to come back and fix it. No, 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 no. Don't say those words to me, ma'am or sir, you know, yep. but that's where that comes from. That kind of, you know, that comfort like, level. Yeah. It's like, Hey, I've been doing this. I know what I'll do. I know what to expect. And it's going to turn out great. Going to yeah. turn out great as long as you buy the idea that the off-gassing is going to go away. Don't worry about that. <laughs> It'll go away. Don't worry about so. the contact high. You'll be fine. <laughs> You'll be good. Yeah. You'll be so, good. 
I didn't, I didn't really have any uh, experience outside of uh, doing my own projects. But what mm-hmm. I discovered uh, and what I wanted to add to the whole idea of what chemical sensitivity is about, you know, people will call and they'll say, uh, well, I'm not chemically sensitive. And the way I interpret that to mean is you're not suffering right now from chemical exposure. However, your body, we all human beings are chemically sensitive if we are exposed at levels that disrupt our immune system. Now, all our immune systems are different. You know, genetically, you have a different immune system, Carolyn than Eric does, and mine's different. So what you can take and what Eric can take and what I can take can be different. You know, on many Eric levels- takes extra we're, chemicals. We're, yeah, we're yeah, gonna I do. <laughs> we're gonna Eric respond. takes a lot of chemicals. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, don't I think, have over the years. There's no question. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to start listing them. Otherwise, that we might get some in of them are whiskey uh, induced, alcohol consumpting. Oh yeah, chemicals. Yeah, yeah. I worked. I, I worked in some places that you know had chemicals in there. I worked at uh, everywhere from the Hanford Nuclear Reservation out to a, a chemical feed plant that made cattle feed. Yeah. So you've got this, you've got a really robust system. You're able to manage that and, and, and that's great. Uh, but other people may not have that. And so you get, uh, you get that exposure that I mentioned earlier. Well, what I wanted to bring it that around to was I found out where I was on that spectrum. And what I discovered is that carpeting as an example of a off-gassing material was really, really tough on me. Um, and I found this out because my wife and I were looking for carpeting for uh, our home. And we went, to, we went to a carpet retailer. And I walked in the door. And about five minutes after I was in there, all of a sudden, I was having trouble swallowing. And I went, wait, 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 what, what's going on? And I realized, wait a minute. It's the smell in here. It's the, all this carpeting. I, I literally had to get out of there before I could like balance myself out. And I just, that was the wake up call. I was like, car- carpeting's emitting a lot of stuff. I, I can't be around carpeting. Of course we have zero carpeting in our home. So same here. Yeah. Which is good. So, yeah. Which is good so anyway. That, that, <laughs> yeah. So th- th- that's, that's kind of, that's where um, I kind of discovered it on my own. I, I think everyone, ho- hopefully people don't have to discover this in a bad way. They just, they can read now and they maybe know someone and they can understand that exposures aren't good for us. So what do we do? You know, what do we do? We, we look for the safer products, the safest products that people make. There's so many out there now. There's so many great products. I mean, we were kind of the, we were kind of the, the first adopters, if you will, back in those days. There were maybe a couple other con- companies here in the U.S. and a few in, in, in Europe who were on the page about building for a healthier indoor air quality, but there weren't that many. So now there's a lot more because- Tell us about AFM, Jay. So for people who don't, you know, people with traditional paint, right? You know, there's the traditional paint companies. And a lot of people say, hey, I've been using Ben Moore for how many years? I've been using Sherman Williams for how many years? Sherman Williams, all those companies. Yeah. So people say, okay, well, one, why would I want to use AFM? Why would I want to change if should I change? And, Mm -hmm. you know, those companies are sort of staples in our homes, right? People use them and they feel comfortable with them and they've never had an issue. So, you know, kind of give that side to, to the audience as to, you know, other alternatives, think reasons why people want to use different products. Yeah. I, I think one of the ways I start the conversation on that is I tell, I tell people when they ask, do you animal test? And I said, absolutely not. I only test on humans. 
And of course, that, <laughs> that gets a little bit of a smile and a little bit of a, what do you mean by that test on humans? But <laughs> what, what, what that really means is absolutely what we did. And this is kind of the, the whole point of the AFM product line is we started with the idea that there's a problem with sensitivities and we need to figure out how we can build a product line that doesn't exacerbate that chemical sensitivity threshold. And the way we did that, because the original founder was himself sensitized, and the problem back in those days is if you went to a physician who didn't understand environmental illness, you were probably up, up the creek without a paddle because they didn't understand what that was. And if they couldn't understand and it prescribed something to you, then it went into the, it went into the psychology side of it. You know, visit your psychologist or your psychiatrist, just maybe a mental problem. And so a lot of people were thrown completely off the bus. They had nowhere to go. They were getting sicker. They didn't know how to deal with it. And there was maybe skepticism among their family and friends. Hey, you're just whacked out. You know, go see somebody to take care of your head problem. And they would just mm -hmm. continue to suffer. So what we found out was that there is a clinic in Dallas, Texas called the American Environmental Health Clinic. The original founder of AFM went out there because he needed to find out what the heck was wrong with him. Seemed pretty obvious, but he didn't know for sure. They diagnosed him and said, hey, you're poisoning yourself. And then he thought, well, if I'm poisoning myself, I've probably been poisoning a lot of other people. So what he did, sure. and, it took, and it took a while, but what he had to do is he had to, he had to find some of these patients at the clinic who were being treated for exposures. He said, hey, would you mind being our guinea pigs? And they were like, Ugh. well, no, but maybe I do. Maybe if I can help, yeah, I'd love to. And so we took started with one of our products, the one we make called Safe Seal. And we took that product and he tinkered with it with his guys in the lab, you know, a bunch of creative lab guys messing around with formulas. Let's put this in. Let's take that out. Let's make this thing and make it work a certain way for a certain problem. He took it to the people with the sensitivities and basically let them play with it. How did that work? How did you respond to it? Did it make you feel bad? came back with the feedback. Yeah, that's, that's, that's better, but it's still got something wrong with it. We'd go back to the lab, tinker, 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 finally get it. So those people could tolerate it. Now, because everyone's different, we can't promise that we're going to solve everyone's chemical problem because of the nuances of our immune system. But what we discovered in the research was that we could get it pretty much done for most of the people, most of the time. And that was the light that went off. All of a sudden it was like, oh, well, we've, we've modified that formula with these really kind of highly refined, safer ingredients. Can we start to broaden the line? What do we need to make? We're going to go into the hardware store and look down the line, right? We got to make a sealer for this surface and a sealer for that surface and a sealer for this. And we need to make paint. We need to make primers. We need to make glue. We need to just take everything off the shelf and knock it down and replace it with something a lot safer. So the line evolved kind of product by product with that testing we had done with the human guinea pigs to prove that what we were telling people was true. And then of course, what happens is people find out about us and you know, that whole network of chemical sensitivity is very tight group. And once they start talking, the word got out, right? Hey, 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 there's this little company out in Riverside, California, never heard of them before, but guess what? They're working on, they're, <laughs> they're working on this paint. stuff. <laughs> and, and, and it's really working. It's really working well for us, you know? And so that's, that's how the whole company got its, its feet underneath it, got its, got its wings to fly. The original founder 
was, you know, near the end of, he was in the late sixties, early seventies. He was ready to kind of get out of the business and retire. But all of a sudden he had a new baby. He had a brand new baby and there was no one out there with the baby except him, maybe a couple (laughs) others, but he was really focused. (laughs) So he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't slow down now. Oh, but I'm tired. I've been exposed. I don't feel well myself. What do I do? He had to look around and find somebody that could come into the business and help some younger guys. That's where we came into the picture. Nice. Through some networking we were able to do, we found out what he was doing. We got involved with him. He said, here's what I've got going. The market looks like it's going to do this. It's going to start, you know, like an upward climb here. It's going to be miraculous. Do you guys want to get involved? And our partners said, yeah, let's do that. So that's, that's what happened about 1992, 93. And we basically retired the old man and he was, you know, he stepped back, but he was still involved on a, on a regular basis. He would like poke in and see what was going on, but generally he handed the ball to us. And then we took it and we started running with it. And of course, as you know, what happened is the industry started to catch up, right? You know, as you alluded Mm -hmm. to Carolyn, everyone, all the paint companies in the paint category, it's probably the most crowded of all of the categories uh, because yeah. they, they, they got wise to the idea, Hey, you know, people want safer things now. So we have to get into the ball game. So all the big brands have, you know, zero VOC paint or something they're branding as an eco coating. But in the question you ask and the question the consumer asks are, well, what's the difference? Why should I buy safe code? I haven't even heard of it, but I buy Benjamin Moore. Right. They've got a zero VOC paint. All of them do. What's the difference? And right. I say, the difference is we did that initial human testing which those companies haven't done. They haven't done it yep. that way. They didn't get into the, they didn't start drilling down in with real people to see if these things really worked. Now, of course, the counter to that is, well, there's all these certifications now. Aren't those certifications good enough? No. I, I'd say <laughs> probably not most of them. There are some that are a little bit better than others. Uh, we were certified, and I say we were a long story, but I'll make it as short as I can. Mm-hmm. We were certified at the time by Scientific Certification Systems, SCS. And what they were doing back then, which was a little bit different than Green Guard and some of the other ones, uh, is they were doing chamber testing. So we submit our coding and they put it in a chamber and chamber. they start doing their metric readings, right, to see what's coming yeah, off. We do that. And then they'll give- we do that a lot. With chemicals, like we do that with, say we want to know what's in a product, like, you know, I don't do it so much anymore, but earlier in my career, I would send something out for chamber testing if it was potentially giving somebody a problem. And then you get a list of kind of all the NAS that's coming off of it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. (laughs) So, so we like that, that protocol. And so we, we, you know, uh, gave them a lot of our different products and we were able to achieve their highest rating, which was our indoor advantage gold certification, which was great. Nice. And we love that. And of course, you know, people were paying attention to us because of that. But what happened, we had a, this kind of a, a falling out with them because we had a contract and the contract, they tried to kind of fool with the contract a little bit and it just wasn't working out for us. So we basically said, we can't keep going. But we knew that we hadn't changed any of our formulas. And that was a few years ago. I mean, if we went back to SCS now and said, hey, do us again, I know for a fact that we would pass again and we'd get their gold certification. Because we haven't changed anything. We were way ahead of the, the, the curve anyway to begin with. So uh, uh, that's, that's what that's about in terms of, of, of what our history is. 
uh, and why we do what we do. And, and of course now we, we've got, uh, we've got the, the, the eco boutique retailers, um, that mm-hmm. sell these types of products. That's where we usually stand. We aren't in the boxes. Uh, we were in a test back in the early nineties with home Depot, as a matter of fact, and yeah. for about a year, but it was way premature. You know, yeah. there mm-hmm. was, there was just enough, not, a, not enough awareness for people to want to buy into it. We, we were on a 60, you know, you know what the Home Depot aisle looks like. It's 65 oh, yeah. feet long, right? <laughs> and, 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 it, and, it's, and you're surrounded by the competition on all sides, except right in the middle, we had eight feet. And that's where the safe That's code, a big set. Eight feet. We had eight <laughs> yeah. feet right in the middle, yep. right? And you should have seen it. It was so funny. We had crammed it with like a little TV screen running a video we made. We had signages everywhere. We had brochures. Nice. And uh, what was interesting about that, it was really remarkable, is we were in uh, the 10, at the time, the 10 San Diego County Home Depots. And the one that did the best was the one down near the Mexican border. And that was because, and you wouldn't think, no, that's not, not down in San Isidro. You know, it's going to be yeah, up in, I was gonna it's gonna be in Rancho Santa Fe. It's going to be in North yeah, County gonna... where all the money is, right? No, yeah. it was because the, the paint, the guy that ran the paint department down there at that San Isidro store was in love with us. And so he yep. was, he was promoting it. He was telling his staff, Hey, listen, this is the future. When you get a client to come in, you, you need to sell this. And that's why. Yeah. It was successful down there, but I always, always remarkable to me. We were in the store in Palos Verde, Palos Verdes. I'm thinking, well, this is done. Palos yeah, Verdes. It, right? <laughs> oh, no. Nothing. Yep. You know, yeah. it's funny, Jay, that you bring up with paint sensitivity because when I was back and going to college, I got exposed to a lot of ammonia where it overwhelmed my mask. I had to jump off the top of a semi tanker truck because I got a face full of of ammonia, of aqua ammonia and kind of burnt my lungs. I never even went to the doctor about it. I was just like, oh man, that's, that's not good. Yeah. But from then on, and this is, you know, geez, 25 years later, even grabbing a thing of Windex, I have to go and and scrunch my nose and, and kind of power through it because it's not comfortable. With paints 10, 15 years ago, I would catch some paints and I'd use them and I would get that ammonia smell off them. And I would go, oh, not using that paint because it was just too much for me in a room to paint with. So even I, who have, you know, <laughs> battled with this stuff, I've noticed that where I'm like, man, I would, I'd have been happy if that was lacquer than ammonia in my body. And yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's Eric just telling your body to wake up to that, right? It's like, it's like a warning flag that goes up saying, Hey, this is something you don't want to be around. And if you keep, if you, if you don't listen to that, then you start to t- tip over. Um, you're probably referring to an, an, an ingredient in, in coatings called an amine and an amine can have that little bit of sharpness like ammonia. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of our products actually incorporates in the acrylic resin it incorporates an amine component, a very small amount of it. And to me, the product's hard seal. To me, that hard seal has that little sharpness to it that would remind someone of ammonia, right? But it's yeah. not. I mean, yeah. um, ammonia is an exempt ingredient. You know, on the VOC list of, yeah. of ingredients, ammonia is not on there. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so it's like, what? It, it, you know, it brings up the whole topic of VOC. You know, what is a VOC? What isn't a VOC? Um, how are they regulated? Uh, how many are there? 
this is all about what the EPA was trying to do back a long time ago about outdoor air quality. They wanted to protect uh, the ozone layer. We didn't want smog. So we started listing ingredients on a list of VOC ingredients. So basically it's a chemical that when it evaporates into the atmosphere and mixes with other nitrous oxide chemicals, it can form smog. So we, we didn't want that. The problem now is that there the over 300 ingredients on the list. Uh, the, the, the problem there is that those exempt ingredients, what we now can call hazardous air pollutants, which is another category. And there's a lot of similarity, um, but there are some exemptions. Those hazardous air pollutants are the ones that can kind of sneak into a formula and the, the VOC can be zero but there could be hazardous air pollutants. And there's no metric for that. You can't say zero VOC, or you could say 50 grams of VOC or hundred grams of VOC and hundred grams of HAPS or zero HAPS. There isn't the HAPS comparison. So it's only now becoming more kind of a discussion point with people, but most people are still kind of VOC oriented. Mm -hmm. If it's not zero, don't talk to me about it. It's got to be zero. Great. I mean, the rising tide. Jay, you know, we talked to my clients and my clients are like, well, that paint's okay. It's a zero VOC. I said in the, in the real realm of things, there's no such thing as a zero VOC. It's sort of like with lead when we talk, Eric and I were talking about water and they get away with saying fixtures are lead free or, um, water testing can be labeled as lead free, but there's really still lead there. It's just such a small level and they can go on under the radar. Right. Right. So it's it's right. hard for people to realize that just because something is labeled something doesn't necessarily mean it's 100 percent true. It's marketing. Right. Right. And it's it always points me to the idea uh, that if you have any issues, whatever, that you should always sample. Uh, we, we have a sampling program mm. where you can get little two ounce containers of our products and and you can try them out and to make sure that the chemistry is OK. You know, I, I tell people if you're going to do a test which is the way I do it. I use a piece of glass I have, or tinfoil works too. And you can basically brush out your coating onto that surface. Why? Because it's inert. You're not going to have any flushing. You're not going to have a reaction from a surface that gets wet and starts off-gassing whatever chemicals are laying there. Ah, smart. Yeah, so you, you can just test the coating on its own and you can determine at least in a micro kind of way that it's going to be okay. Obviously, if you're doing a whole house of coating, that's a different kind of thing you have to deal with in terms of air management. But at the same time, you're starting in a good spot as opposed to just reading something on a website or, or, or buying into some brochure you've, you read that said, hey, don't, don't worry, trust us, it's going to be okay. And then you do a whole big project and you can't live there, which is something yeah. that you know, you've, you've, you've talked to people about. Carolyn, we talk about it every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what uh, a lot of people do, Jay, and I'd love to get mm. your opinion on this. So mm. people love to use like air fresheners and they use all the products in their house. Mm. And mm. I've had a couple clients now where they've painted their house and I guess there was residue on the wall. Like it could be anything right in the case that I'm talking about, he had significant amounts of, um, air freshener. And so mm-hmm. the paint, he applied the paint and it was bare, actually the chemical company, or the company that mm-hmm. it was. And all of a sudden he had mm-hmm. this adverse reaction and he couldn't be in the house anymore. And the mm-hmm. only thing that I could really think was one, mm-hmm. potentially the paint could have been skunked, which happens. People should realize that just because you get a can of paint doesn't mean it can't go bad. And it usually has this weird, right. like yeasty, nasty smell when it goes bad, at least traditional paint does, right? right? right. So you have to right. be wary of that. But what I figured out in this situation was that somehow 
the wet paint combined with this other chemical that he had used in the room, like this air freshener, and created some kind of concoction that made him sick. I mean, have you ever yeah. heard, can that happen? I mean, can these wet paints actually, you know, bond with other chemicals and sort of transform into different compounds or how would that work? Yeah, yeah, they can. They certainly can. Uh, again, it's that flushing effect where one chemical hits another one. Uh, you know, what it does is it creates a whole different, as you alluded to, a whole bunch of different chemical compounds. And the problem with that is there's no way to figure out what that is because it's so novel. I mean, how many, there's thousands of chemicals out there that we get exposed to that through people different are ways. using in their houses. And yeah. so how do you like, so, what, just as a simple thing, how do you paint? Like, how do you do a really good paint job and you ensure that something like that doesn't happen? Is there, is there a trick to painting that we don't know? Or well, yeah, I get, I've got, if, if we're walking into a polluted situation, so let's say it's uh, one of the pollutions, the one you mentioned, it's a glade freshener. So you've got fragrance on the wall or you've got a smoker who's been smoking for 30 years, right? Oh, or, you, or, you, or you've had, a, <laughs> you've had a, a grease fire in your kitchen, right? Yeah. So you've got I'd some- I'd almost rather see the grease fire than the smoker. Yeah. But, and that's yeah. crazy. Oh yeah. I mean, those are all very, or the other one would be essential oils. You know, someone's, oh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're using candles maybe. Like, that's like, that's like an air freshener, but not the same. Um, yeah. So in general, in real simple terms, those contaminants are, uh, they're, they're oily in nature and, and they're also molecular speaking, they're fairly small. So what, what they, what that allows them to do is that allows them to actually come through coatings, uh, water-based coatings in particular are not very good at controlling those type of small molecular uh, polluters. And so what happens is someone may come into a situation, they may prime and paint with a water-based coating, and then shortly thereafter, maybe days or even maybe weeks, that whole problem starts to come back. And it starts slowly, and then it gets back stronger and stronger, and basically they're back to where they started. Um, so, so that's, that's almost like color bleed then, yeah, but it's yeah. just chemical bleed the same way. Very much oh, so. Gross. That's a very good analogy of it. Very good. Yeah. So, so in those situations, it, what I've discovered just with my own experimentation, uh, is that you have to, you have to kind of go back into the conventional world. Uh, and that would be using, uh, using shellac, you know, shellac's been around for hundreds of years, using shellac, uh, as a, as a foundation to seal in the problem. And then on top of the shellac to give, you know, a more robust coating, a more washable, scrubbable coating, you can then put paint, primer, other coatings on top of shellac. Shellac's fairly universal in what it can be covered with. It also likes mm -hmm. to stick to things really well too. So I've told people for many, many years now, if you've got that problem, we're going to start with shellac. And they go, wait a minute. I, I've, been looking at I've been looking at shellac. Shellac's got 575 grams of VOC. I don't want that. And I go, I know, I know it looks bad, but let me explain. Yep. The shellac is the carrier in shellac. The solvent is alcohol. Exactly. And alcohol is very, very volatile, which means it, ex it, it flashes off. So quick. Just so quick. It just goes boom. And so, yep. yes, your exposure to shellac when it's wet and it's first applied is strong, but that, that's, that is going to, to diminish almost within an hour, literally say, under hour. two hours, yep. you're two hours. It's pretty much done. Yeah. And that means that then you're ready to, because they're, they're still going to go, wait a minute. It was still that high VOC. I'm still nervous. Okay. 
one of the great things about our brand is we're known from being able to control other emissions. You, you got a problem here. We need to seal it up. Hey, Safecoat's pretty good at that. So if you put Safecoat over shellac, we've got a really good system for controlling that really noxic, noxic stuff. So that's how that works. But let's say we don't have the problem. Let's just say, hey, you know what? Let's say it's new construction. Uh, okay, we got sheetrock. We know what we're going to do, traditional. We're going to mud it. We're going to tape it. We're going to sand it. And we're going to prime it. Simple. Mm-hmm. We have, AFM makes a dedicated product for that called wall, Wallboard Prime Coat. Super nice. thick, really creamy. Uh, it hides all. If you got a bad tape job or a little bit rough <laughs> sanding job. CG, I like that because I don't like some of the PVA primers out there that are thinner than water. Yeah. No, this stuff because so- they soak in really good, but there is absolutely no hide, no measurable coverness to it at all. There's it just no goes hide. away. Then there's no hide whatsoever. Uh, it's a, it's really a pretty phenomenal product. Um, and cool. I've told I told a fellow this morning we're talking about a paint job, and they said, "Are you going to do your ceilings uh, white?" He said, "Yeah, I'm just going to do a flat white." I said, "Well, I just I'm I'm going to save you a ton of money right now. Use my new it was new construction. Use my new wallboard prime coat." all by itself on your ceiling. You don't need to paint. You don't need to paint it. Why? Because it's not stressed. Nothing up there. You're not going to touch it. You're not going to feel it. Nothing's not going to happen. It's a white. Eric it's, it's, it's dull. Yeah. It's flat and it's super opaque. You probably get away with one coat. I mean, figure it out. It's yeah, your square out. footage. I got a thousand, <laughs> 4,000 square foot of ceiling and it's all going to be white. And all I have to do is put on one coat of primer. Bingo. I'm happy. You could buy a hundred gallon dollar a gallon primer and yes. still be ahead yes. doing that when you figure labor and materials in that. Yes. Okay. So we, we, you know, we're, this is all real basic stuff. This doesn't throw any contractor off at all, other than the fact that he's going to look at the primer and he's going to, wow, it's a super thick. It's like yogurt. It's almost as thick as yogurt. I, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. And of course, there's mm-hmm. nervousness. And then they use it and then they go, oh my God, that was <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. I love it when we have a convert, you know, you got, you got this resistance. The guy is dying the wool. I'm never going to change. Don't make me change. Don't make me change. And all of a sudden he uses the products and he goes, oh, I've seen the light. I have, I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. All right. So the best paint job is a coat of primer and Two coats of paint. Two <gasps> coats of paint. That's what I grew up with. What'd you grow up with, Eric? Same thing. Yeah. Coat of primer, Same two coats here. of paint. Now there's that yep. primer all-in-one garbage that I usually make fun of. But that's yeah, a whole other story. Yeah, it's, that's become a, yeah, it's become kind of a popular trend because why? It's mm-hmm. cheaper in the long run because you got less labor. So, okay, blah, blah, blah. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, self, you suffer. You suffer from durability, scrubbability. What if, what if the painter isn't really a good craftsman? You know, the tooling isn't good. They're mm-hmm. not rolling it right. They're not cutting in correctly. You put one cheap coat. Cheap rollers, on, cheap brushes. Yeah, yeah. You, you look at one coat. You look at one coat and you go, wait a minute. They missed a spot right here, right? Yeah. And you can't really tell when you're rolling it. And when it's wet, it's kind of hard to see it. Yeah. Unless it's really a bad paint job. But I know this personally because I've done that. I've I've rolled it, I've rolled it and I cut it in, and then my wife goes, Hey buddy, you missed something. <laughs> you right? And so then I have to go back. And I realize, you know what? You gotta do two coats. You gotta do two coats. Yep. So the other thing about that is what we discovered when we did our research on controlling emissions, which is what we did with formaldehyde. It's on our website on the frequently asked questions page. There's a links document and 
right at the top, there's a formaldehyde reduction attenuation test. So basically what we did is we took a piece of MDF and we measured it. Andy Pace, uh, who you interviewed, Andy has uh, a, a sensor unit that he can actually put uh, right on the surface and it will actually measure the formaldehyde directly coming off of the surface. Cool. So what we did is we measured the MDF, we got a reading, and then we took our primers, transitional new, no, transitional primer and our paint, and we applied one coat of primer, two coats of paint over that, and then we read it again after a week. And the reduction was phenomenal. And it varied. Flat was the lowest because flat's more porous. The pearl sheen, which is our matte finish, it was the best performer. It sealed 100% from Aldehyde, 100 Wow. Uh, eggshell was like 96, semi-gloss was 97, something like that. All right. Then we did it with our clear finishes, Great. hard seal, safe seal, acrylate, polyurethane. And so, th- you know, those are something people can look on our website and see what we're talking about in terms of formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is pretty small molecule yep. versus some of the bigger ones. So the way we, the way I talk about this is it's like we build a net. We build like a painting ceiling net and that net is very fine meshed. So the formaldehyde molecule bumps into the mesh and it can't get through. Well, if you've got a bigger molecule, it's going to bump into the mesh too. Sure. And so that's, that's how we're able to take a polluted situation, which would be what? What would that be? We already talked about the bad guys, you know, nicotine, but there's, there's other ones. People paint their house with zero VOC paint and they can't be in the house because it's zero VOC. So what? It's causing a problem. They got to fix it. What are they going to do? I get a call. Hey, AFM, we hear Mm -hmm. that you can seal over other paint will you help? And I say, okay. So we figure out what exactly our challenges are. And then we come in with a remedy that helps them deal with that. We do a lot. I'd say close to 50% of our business is that. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's, you know why? You think like paint, like so many people have problems with paint. Like it's, that's unbelievable to me. Cause like, I just never, you know, to me, paint doesn't really, you know, it smells a little bit. Right. And then I move on. It's, it's nothing. And I do use low VOC paint. I definitely use when I do anything, Yeah, but it never was really an issue. I mean, how about you? Yeah. Eric? Well, see, that's just ever, all, I mean, beca- that's have- all personal. That's all personal. I mean, I don't have a yeah. problem mm-hmm. with paint I, and I've done a lot of Eric, you know, I've, I've worked, I'm, I'm a surfer. And at one point, nice. and, yeah. at one point I got this idea that I would build my own surfboards. Well, so guess cool. where I was doing that? I was doing that in my garage. I got, <laughs> I got, I got zero, I got zero mechanical airflow here. I basically <laughs> opened the garage door. Okay. And I'm using, you know, I'm using resin. Um, Fiberglass resin. Oh, and you've got all that man, stuff. Man, yeah. I know I burned, I burned some brain cells on that one, but yep. um, so, but, but paint, I didn't sensitize myself. You know, I can yeah. paint, I can paint pretty much. I know that I'm not going to paint with really bad stuff in an enclosed space. That would be stupid, but I can paint, for example, if I'm doing something outside where I've got a lot of airflow, I can use something a little more nasty and it won't bother me. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's something you just don't want to challenge your immune system with. You just don't. No, I've done my own auto body stuff and I, yep. I was smart back then. This was the, you know, late eighties, early nineties. And we had a teacher that was already had that uh, sensitivity. So we were even then wearing air masks and stuff that were, yeah. we were doing, it was, we were well beyond, you know, in the college classes, they were really, really ahead of the game for the time, which was really nice. But yeah. my question for you, Jay is lead paint, for instance, is still a big one in our older communities with mm-hmm. the older homes. Mm-hmm. How do you guys deal with that as an existing material inside a house? 
Well, so of course the problem with lead is it, uh, exposure to it is in a friable state. So if it was turned into dust, you don't want to be, breathe lead dust, or you know you wouldn't want to lick lead paint. All right, or that, sure. where would that where would that possibly happen? <laughs> we have a child who's yep. te- who's teething, right. right? And they're going to put their lips or going to suck on something. It might have you wouldn't want that. Um, so that's a whole kind of category of of containment. You have to use encapsulants, and that's yep. a category of product. AFM doesn't make a quote unquote encapsulant coating. Okay, so. So then they're out there. And again, sure. it's like this, it's like the same kind of conversation I'm having with shellac. You know, if you have to use an encapsulant that may not have the chemical profile you like, you can come in with a coating like us and we can go over the encapsulant and we can seal it up. So you don't have to worry about that off-gassing. Um, I typically tell people if you've got lead, it's probably buried by 15 coats, coats of latex. Yeah, yeah. 15 yeah. coats of latex, you know? Because lead paint's been gone for 40 years now, right? Exactly. So, so, but you get an old house, like you imagine, and you go, well, they haven't done anything in this old house. It is possible. And they have a test done. Oh, yeah, you got lead. Well, you got to yep. look at it. How bad is, is, the, is, the, is, is the film distressed? Meaning, are we looking at blistering? Are we looking at cracking? We got an alligator? We got any of, the, any of the surface imperfections that we know we got to deal with? What do you got to do? Well, you're going to, you don't have to hire an abatement. I don't believe you have to, unless it's really severe. Mm. You don't have to hire an abatement company to come out and do it. I mean, you can get yourself a good mask. I mean, we're all comfortable yep. wearing masks now, so there's no argument there. <laughs> you get a <laughs> you get a mask on there. You know, Not you a put cloth one. A yeah, real mask. You, you get a mask on your real face, pee-pee. and if you have to, <laughs> it, yep. it, it's right. If you if you have to scrape <laughs> and you have to sand. Yes, you want to keep that wet sand when you can. Keep everything down. Don't get a lot of dust flying around. That's what you don't want to do. If you don't have to do that. Now, I say this with qualifiers, of course, because I'm not talking about encapsulation here. Everybody's listening. But yeah. if, if, you, if you can stabilize that surface enough where you've scraped and you've sanded and you know that you put a primer on there that's going to bond, then you can use, you could use my primer. You could use my transitional primer. People have done that. Why? Because it sticks really well. Don't get it on your hands. Don't get it in your fingernails because you'll take days to get it out. I know for oh, a no, fact. Oh, no, it's like spray foam. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm trying to get it out of my fingernails. And it's just like, why didn't I wear my gloves? I got sloppy. Yeah. So so anyway, you can you can do that. Now, again, I'm saying if you've got a serious, serious problem where an encapsulant is absolutely necessary, it may be necessary if you're doing a big job and you've got code issues you may yeah, have, like if you're in a childcare facility yeah. and you're trying to do those kind of things where you yeah. got yeah, big you really, hoops to jump through. Yeah, you really, you really, you really, you really can't kind of cheat. Or like when I was like to say cheat, but you can't do an alternative. You have to kind of follow the game plan, otherwise they're going to kick you out. Yeah. So, so I got a lead paint story that's funny, and I'll I'll tell this okay. now because <laughs> the, the, we, I'm now not doing this show on TV anymore. Huh. But I was shooting here in Portland uh, for our local TV station, these Mm -hmm. DIY segments. And this was probably, what, four plus years ago. And I had Julie's, um, you know, my wife's outdoor, her grandmother's outdoor furniture. And this wasn't like some antique thing, but it was Mm -hmm. just that metal outdoor decorative furniture. And Mm -hmm. I said, okay, we're going to do a quick little upgrade and add some color to it because it was this kind of just black wrought iron look to it. And then, okay, we're going to add some color to this. So I go through... And I'm sanding, and I got a dust mask on. We get it all cleaned up. And I thought, hey, let's shoot this real quick. Let's talk about lead paint and a lead paint test real quick that you should always test it. I go, it's not lead paint, but let's test it because it's not that old. I go in there, and I swipe it. Man, that lead paint test goes red so quick. I couldn't wow. believe it. Wow. And I'm like, no, so I'm I, I, uh, 
I look up and the photographer's doing it and I drop an F-bomb because I knew that way they couldn't use it on the news because <laughs> I didn't want that to be in my piece because I knew my photographer would try to slide that in. <laughs> and I'm like, we're not using that. And we didn't. But it was like, it was brutal. I was like, oh my gosh. And I was just using an N95 dust mask. I wasn't using the right mask for paint. Yeah. I wasn't really doing the right stuff, but yeah. I was like, ah, oh. yeah. Even I got burned on that one. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't have people talking too much that often about lead paint anymore. Really? Yeah. It's, it's kind of slowly kind of going away, you know? Well, every year it's just that much farther in the history. Correct. And you know, it's just one of those things that we're not seeing as much, but I uh, figured yeah. I'd ask you with uh, what you guys did. Cause it's, it's in certain areas, it's big in certain areas. It's not discussed at all. Cause there's a lot of homes that have been built past, you know, the late, late seventies. Oh yeah. Definitely. It just so, wasn't found. I think, I think when we were kind of targeting where we wanted to be, I, I, that wasn't one of the things we were really worried too much about. It was more about uh, the basic toxicity of the of the ingredients in the product and how well someone with a sensitivity problem could deal with it. That was really sure. our focus. Um, people have asked me, you know, are you are you going to work on an encapsulant? And I basically say, well, no, you know, we have to keep our eye on the prize here. Um, we use what a we want to do. Encapsulant has become really in mold remediation, Jay, and especially yeah. if it's done properly, mm. they use a lot of encapsulant now. So, um, and okay. a low, and they're using low VOC encapsulant. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know mm -hmm. the quality of it cause you would know better, but there are brands out there and most of these remediation companies are using it now because the molds get so entrenched into yeah. the, the beam that you just can't right. get it out. I mean, there's only so much sanding you can do. And there's, we right, do use right. a lot of hydrogen peroxide surfaces now on surfaces cause mm -hmm. it makes it bubble up. Right. And it can get a lot of that mm -hmm. out, but when you've got mm -hmm. really damaged wood or firewood or any kind of, you know, mold remediation issue, we kind of have to use it. So I would be interested to see if you guys could make one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, you're reminding me of Carolyn. Um, uh, I've had, I've had clients over the years want us to control creosote. You know how, oh, wow. you know how nasty yeah. creosote is. Yeah. Very nasty. And I, I, I tried, I, I took everything I had in my workshop that was AFM and I tried, I had a guy who was up in Los Angeles and he had, they had creosoted underneath his, he had a crawl space. So oh, all his God. joists and everything underneath there was all creosoted. Oh. It was killing him, literally killing him. And he said, can you help me? And I said, I, boy, I don't know. Cause this is, this is a long time ago. So I didn't know if we could do creosote or not. So I threw everything I had at it and I, I could never get it nailed down. I mean, if I could, if I could figure out a seal creosote, I'd probably have a pretty, it. I'd have a damn good encapsulant for everything else. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you're right. And I mean, we have it here a lot because yeah. we have our West Hills in Portland, which have a lot of kind of stilt homes and stuff that were mm -hmm. built, you mm -hmm. know, 30 to 60 years ago. Yeah. And the problem with those is a lot of them, they built them on basic telephone poles where they drove them down into the ground. Oh, right. Yeah. And there might be some concrete in there, but the whole house it, maybe it's only the driveway that's touching earth and everything mm -hmm. else is suspended up. Right. And that goes all the way up into the framing of the house. And so right. it's the same kind of thing. And I, I, I can think of a hundred homes in my area that I've seen that have that same situation. And yeah. you can smell oh, yeah. that. Like yeah, when I walk and I take a walk sometimes and I'm out and you pass some of these telephone poles have this like nasty stench and that's what it is. And they're usually, I guess, the older poles, right? Mm -hmm. Though I've smelt it on newer stuff too, so but oh, it's yeah. Horrible. So they're trying they're trying to keep the wood from degrading. It's Rotting. all about keeping yeah. the wood from falling yeah. apart. And so if someone discovered that mm -hmm. years ago, 
they they dip they dip their post into a some concoction they made and went oh my god that works great <laughs> so yeah that's a problem but um yeah we 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 are what i'm seeing happening and you can back me on this i think we're seeing a movement now to be, be more bio-based more bio-based types of formulations our experimentation in there is with our we make a couple oils that are plant-based oil sealers uh mm-hmm. naturals oil wax finish and clear penetrating oil and uh in, in our mind we want to try to bridge the gap between the two concepts we because people say, well, are you, are you natural or are you synthetic? And I say, well, I'm mostly synthetic. And of course, you know, they get all kind of freaked out when I say synthetic because they, they they attach that to petrochemical. You are a petrochemical (laughs) poisoner. I'm saying, well, and let me tell you my story. So I explain how we were able to filter through the ingredients that are available in the petrochemical world, which by the way, is going to be around for a long, long time, folks. So let's, we know we're going to make it or not. We're going to evolve. We're going to slowly evolve. You can see what's happening in the bio-based world, but you're you're still going to be living with, you know, synthetics. So let me explain to you about that. And I get through the story. Um, The way I talk about high VOC content, is I say, uh, okay, well, I'm going to make a comparison that may help you. When we're talking about, remember, we're talking about shellac and it's got 575 grams of VOC. Well, let's yeah. take an orange. Let's go into the kitchen and peel an orange and squeeze that and get that, that delimeline kind of thing coming out. Yeah. It's natural. You've got a lot of vodka coming off of there, right? <laughs> you do. Delimonene. That's nice stuff. Yep. Mm. You got a it's ton like of aldehyde off an apple. But yeah, but, hey, but about- no one thinks of it. No, yeah. no one well, would peel an orange and go, oh my God. I tell them, I say, just because something's green doesn't mean it's good for you. There's lots of things like eucalyptus, right. lavender, delimonene, right. which is citrus, apinine, yeah. pinene. Yeah. Turpentine right. is made from a natural substance. It is mm-hmm. not, you want to go suck on some turpentine? No. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. There used to be a cabinet company here in Portland that would ship out across the country and they were using a lot of stuff here and I don't think they're around anymore, but they were making this new green cabinet box material that they were bringing in and it was made out of straw fibers. Yeah. But the problem was, is that it could mildew really easy because it was still straw. Yeah. And it was like making cabinetry out of rice cakes. As soon as somebody slammed the door, the hinge would pull out of it. Oh, no. And there were, there were, as a cabinet designer, I can think of about eight jobs where the contractor was already replacing boxes and he hadn't even installed them all the way yet. Oh. And he calls me up going, and I had this happen probably once a year, calling up because we also had some green cabinet options at the time going, uh, can you come bail me out? I'm telling them to come pick up their cabinets. Oh my God. Is it Neil? It wouldn't hold up. It just, it was a great idea. Is Neil Kelly, is Neil Kelly still up there in Portland? Yeah. Neil Kelly. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Cause I know, I know Neil, Neil Kelly actually uh, found out about us and they were actually, when a client wanted it, they were actually using our polyuracil BP for yep. their, for their cabinets. They were spraying it on their cabinets. So yeah. Yeah. Neil Kelly. I don't know if they're making cabinets. You know, a lot of these guys up here, um, a lot of the smaller shops have gone away. There's some bigger ones now, but a lot of those guys, there's two or three of those guys out there that have, that have kind of, kind of called it quits. Neil Kelly has definitely changed from a, I mean, a great company. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they were over working at my, they're over there uh, working on my mother-in-law's 
place uh, as we speak right okay. now, mm-hmm. but um, they're very high end remodel. Um, and I think they're doing a lot less cabinetry. So I'm not sure if their cabinet shop is, is open or not. Um, yeah. I haven't been in that part of town for a while. Yeah, I think I think you know with uh, the big retailers like IKEA taking such a huge portion of the market now, you know, it's uh, it's like the small shops. Unless you've got a real kind of specialized thing you do, it's hard to stay in business. We've we've seen that with the eco retail stores too. Um, yeah. uh, and the internet had a big had a lot to do with that too. I mean, every, people are buying things online now. You know, one of our biggest dealers is uh, Green Building Supply. Besides, besides, besides That's the fantastic. Green Design Center, yeah, yeah. Green, mm-hmm. green Building Supply in Iowa is like huge. Yeah. I recommend a lot of my clients to them. Yeah, they. It, what's so What's so interesting about that is if you were to, if you're ever in Fairfield, Iowa, which is which is actually geographically right in the middle of the country, mm-hmm. if you're ever there, you go into their showroom. They've got one of the most beautiful showrooms I've ever seen. All the cabinets are all built. I mean, you could live there. I want to live there, as a matter of fact. Just let me live in your show. <laughs> We've got a station coming on there here yeah. at the end of the year, actually. So, oh. <laughs> But here's what's so interesting. They're in Fairfield. I was there for four days. You know how many people I saw in the, in the showroom in four days? Four. Nobody, I bet. Four. Yeah. Four wow. people. I'm thinking, oh my God, online. this is almost, this is almost wasted. But then, but then Joel Hirschberg, he's the owner. He said to me, he, um, yes. you know, we do a lot of special events for the community. So we will, for example, we've got a full kitchen. So we will hire some famous chef to come in and they'll do a cooking afternoon. And so the place gets filled up. I mean, there'll be, wow. there'll be hundreds of people in there wanting to hear this famous chef See, talk Eric, about it. Eric, you can go there. Eric can there go there. Go. You can demonstrate well, are you some, a famous chef, Eric? No, 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 no. I like to cook, <laughs> but I'm not a famous chef. <laughs> no, I'm saying you could demo like home improvement things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you could. That would be great. Joel. Have you spoken to Joel? Yeah, Carolyn, no, you've spoken no, to Joel. No, he doesn't know Joel. Ah, oh, you, I, should, I should. I'll hook you guys up. I'll hook you guys up. There we up. go. Mm-hmm. There that we would go. be fantastic. He's he's very much about the marketing thing. Very, very nice. much. And that's, that's why he's so successful. That's cool. So he would like well, Jay, that. I wanted to ask you about, I wanted to ask you about cabinetry finishes because okay. you just kind of touched on it. And I've got almost 30 years as a kitchen and bath designer out there. Okay. And there are so many different, you know, finishes out there from what you see at your, you know, your big box store where they've got a, a catalyzed UV cured conversion varnish. There's all these new, you know, conversion urethanes coming on out there. And there's also a lot of good waterborne finishes that I'm seeing out there as well. What's your take on those? Because I know this is kind of a little bit in your wheelhouse. From what yeah, it yeah, like. yeah, it is. Um, yeah, you're right. There are some really good products coming out there. And I think they're, uh, you know, it, uh, regulation and just awareness is driving VOC, you know, down in those things. So they're making them a lot safer, which is great. Um of course, back to the story I was telling about how we went into the hardware store and pulled products off the shelf. Uh, we, we make a we make a lacquer, a water based lacquer called Acrolac, okay. which which is one of my favorite products. I've used a lot of it, so it, it functions very much like um, like lacquer in terms of application. It doesn't burn in, you know. Lacquers, yeah. Eric, they kind of burn into the coatings. So you can put a coat oh, yeah. on, second on, it burns in. Uh, ours doesn't do that. The water bases don't do that very well. So basically, you're doing a layering. You know, you're, gotcha. you're, you're spraying on a coat, you're letting it dry, then you're spraying on another coat. Um, 
and it takes you long. You have to sand in between those coats, or is it, it generally you don't? Um, okay, I, I, I know there's a lot of rules there. So that's yeah, a it depends. Thing. I mean, it depends yeah. on how your techniques. If if there's an imperfection in the film for some reason, you might have to do a little bit of sand, get a bubble, or you get dirt or whatever. Sure. Um, you'd have to deal with that. So that's the one we've come up with, and it's 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 just, it's durable for a water base. I think it's pretty durable. I mean, I've put it through its paces in my kitchen. Um, in fact, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, I have it on my countertop in my kitchen, which I wouldn't, necess- I wouldn't necessarily tell people to do that, but I wanted to stress it out. Sure. And it's been, it's been about seven years now and okay. it's, it, I need to refreshen it. I probably could have refreshed it two years ago. Um, but it's still doing its job. It's holding water out. It's got scratches on it because you're doing all food prep on there all the time. Sure. And I'll leave a pot overnight. The other thing about it is, um, and this is kind of consistent with other waterborns that I know about. If if you leave like a pot with water underneath it on the counter, this has done it happened to my house. In the morning, I come up and I lift the pot off. There's this giant white ring. White stain. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what's so funny. As everyone panics. <laughs> I tell you though, it's so, it's so amazing. So the white ring, first time I saw it, I went, oh no, I've ruined the finish. No. I left and came back an hour later and it was gone. Nice. <laughs> yeah. What happened is what I understood. I talked to my lab and I said, what the hell? And he says, yeah. what happened is the water started to reemulsify the film. And that's why it turned white because that's what it looks like when it's wet. It's white. Yeah. But as soon as the water gets out of there, it goes back to its stable state. You don't see it. I'm looking at it on the angle. Is it? Is the film starting to bubble up? Is it cracking? No. I've I've done I've videotaped this. I've taken photographs a dozen times now to show to my dealers before and after. It's like it's a miracle. It's a miracle. So I, I don't think. There's some of those alkyd products and those solvent-based products from a hardness standpoint are probably never going to be eclipsed by a waterborne. Yeah. I don't think you'll ever get there. Um, there some of those, what I call conventional products, just do a really good job. And Man, yeah, no they've kidding. got issues, but you know what? Let's manage that. You know, let's, let's make sure that if we're doing that coating, that we try to manage that production. What does that mean? I don't want you spraying crap in my house. You're going to do this off-site. You're going to let it sit off-site in some place where it's not going to be contaminated. And you're going to let it off-gas in your space. And then you're going to come and install. All right. That's nice. one That's one way to manage it. Jay, uh, I can't tell you how many times as a designer that I popped into a factory yeah. and grabbed rush parts to go out to a job site. Yeah. And within <laughs> a quarter mile, I've got every window down on my vehicle because – I am taking thousands of brain cells and throwing them out the window yeah. with the rest of the fumes with it because I'm just burning myself in with chemicals. Yeah. The solvent-based products really, from a user standpoint, are really pretty nice because they, yep. they do a lot of, they lay down really well. They've got a long working time. Um, they look fantastic. You know, you spray yep. it and it's like almost a piano finish if you do a really good mm-hmm. job. And it's like, that's what everyone wants. You can get you can get really good results with water base, but you got to work at it. You got to you got to you got to want to do it, which means you're going to have to dedicate your your spray equipment. You're going to have to play with the product a lot. You're going to have to mess up a lot. You're going to have to waste a lot of material to figure out how to do it. But once you figure it out, then I tell contractors, listen, I don't want you to stop doing. Well, I'd like you to stop doing for your own health, but I know you're not. 
What you need to do is add this to your options for your clients. Why? Because a client's going to ask you. And if you look like a deer in the headlights, they're probably going to say, <laughs> bye-bye. Wrong guy. Bye-bye. And you're yep. going to lose business. Now, you don't need to lose business here. Just get into the game. Get into the game. Learn these new materials. Get them in your toolkit. And then when someone asks, you're the man or you're the woman. You're the yep. woman. Yeah, I've got a waterborne... Uh baked on finish in my kitchen that I put in last year. And it's, yeah. it's done really, really well. You know, there you go. it's done really well. So yeah. I feel like we're part of this. And I know you feel this too. And just in the discussions you have with everyone you interview, we're all part of this movement. I always, I like this feeling that we're kind of this like tribe. We're a tribe of people that are trying to lift it all up here and, and get people in a better place. I think COVID has been opened our eyes to a lot of different things. And certainly <laughs> From a business standpoint, we had a really good year last year. I and bet. I, it's, because, it's because people are sitting there working at home, right? And they start looking around and they go, you know what? Oh, I could refin it. That needs to be redone. <laughs> that needs to be redone. It's time to, I'm here. You know, I'm I'm working, but I could take a break over lunch and like paint a wall or something. Yep. So and they're not been spending a lot money like thing. they're they're not taking trips, right? So all that money for right. vacations and everything, right. they're like, oh, I'm going to redo yeah. my house. Because I got to stare That's at it. that crack and now it's bothering me. It never bothered me. Until so, Jay, I got, a, I got a funny story. I look like a prophet in the Northeast to the lumberyard builders because about two and a half years ago, I was up there for the Northeastern Retail Lumber Association as their keynote speaker. And yeah. I talked about how they all needed to, lumberyard owners needed to embrace technology and bring in healthier products mm. and make sure that they can work in the 21st century get rid of the notepad ordering system, make sure that people can order online because in the future, people are not going to be coming into the lumber yard like they did. They're mm. just going to be at the job site waiting to do that. Mm. Of course, not knowing that COVID was going to drive that eight months later, um, mm. I got more messages when COVID started going, I'm happy I listened. And I know there was only a handful of people listening because most everybody went, ah, oh, no, it was, it was like talking to a bunch of powdered wigs up there. Yeah, yeah. This was... It was it was like talking home technology to to eighteen twenty. Yeah, but the ones that listened really won. You, you kind of have to embrace it with the times with COVID now because that's just kind of the way of the future how yeah, things are changing. I think so, and that that includes being a healthier home. Oh yeah, you you were a prophet. You were a prophet there. <laughs> well, you know, I, I Andy and I were talking about this in our last podcast, and that is we were thinking about where's where's it all going. Uh, you know, what's the future look like? And so we kind of riffed on that a little bit. He had ideas and I had ideas. But one of the things that Andy said that I really, really stuck with me is we want to get to a point where what we're talking about isn't newsworthy anymore. You understand what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. it's so mainstream now that it's not, it's not a topic of conversation. This is how we build. And that's the only way we build. The only way we build is healthfully. And then, and then we'll have to find something else to talk about. Well, it's like almost music. like going into a paint store and, and asking, you know, latex paint is in many cases, all you got out there when you yeah. walk into a paint store mm -hmm. for, you know, interior, exterior stuff. And yeah. it used to be, it was oil-based and you'd have to ask for right. latex paint. Right. That right. was the new normal. And I think you're a hundred percent right that the new normal is going to be a healthier coating. Right. Right. Yeah, hey, Eric, I think so. Before, so we're, put, we're putting ourselves out of a job here. 
<laughs> before Jay, Jay has yeah. to tell me. I've been dying for this last hour. What, what? is this pickle? Oh, pickleball. 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 Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so <laughs> what you have, like, so Eric, Eric, Eric touched on it. So what pickleball is, is it's kind of a combination of tennis, ping pong and badminton. All right. So yeah. you're, you're using, you're using a, a, a large, kind of an large ping pong paddle. You're using a ball that's got holes in it and it's made out of plastic. All right. Okay. Yeah, whole, kind the, of the baseball sized list. It's like ball. a wiffle ball. You know what a wiffle yeah. ball is? A it's like ball. a yeah, wiffle ball. Right. Okay. 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 So, but it's heavier. And the yeah. court, the court is much smaller than a tennis court. So, okay. and you'll want to look this up on the internet because there's tons of stuff on this now and you'll see how it's played. But basically part of its popularity is you don't have to run as much. Um, like it's tennis? a very social mm-hmm. game. It's really mostly played as doubles, as doubles. Yep. You, they, there are singles players, which is what I want. I want to play singles, but it's mostly a doubles game because it's so social. And it's basically, it's basically a, a lower speed, except, well, not low speed, because once you get up to the net, you're you're volleying. It's a volley game, and it could it could yep. really intense. I mean, this thing's going back and forth really fast. It's like ping pong, then. Yeah, very oh much so. God. But it's uh, it's huge. It's very. And what's happening is tennis facilities is this a now West Coast? are adding. Because why have I never heard of this? Is this like a West Coast well, thing? Like, do you? Go I don't to- think so. I think it's I've national. Never, we don't have it, this here. I've never seen well, this. How is this possible? You can be the first one to promote it. Yes. And then it'll, it'll, at- it'll catch on like wildfire. You're, um, it's easy to play. If you've, if you play tennis, yeah, if you if you're a <laughs> tennis player, Carolyn, you'll, you'll have to just adjust your tennis, your tennis motions a little bit. Cause you're not taking big swings necessarily. You de- you rarely uh-huh. do overheads every once in a while. It's really a volley game, mm-hmm. huh. but you have, uh, at, you have the net and then six feet on either side of the net, there's what's called the kitchen. And you cannot volley, take a volley if you're standing in the kitchen. That's against the rules. But if someone dinks over the net and the ball bounces into the kitchen, you can step into the kitchen to volley it back, <laughs> you know, hit it back. I feel like you yeah. guys are like but pulling if my leg. Ki- Isn't that funny? Because I've never no, heard of it. No, no, no. Like he's dead on. This- <laughs> I'm not. No. You've, you've got to check it out. You've, you've got to, you, you can probably find, you, you don't have any pickle. Where do you live, Carolyn? New Jersey. I'm looking She's this up Jersey. right now. Oh, come on. There's going to be. Oh, no, man. There, I, yeah. I swear to God, if you look around, you're going to find a pickleball court somewhere in New Jersey. Wait, oh, oh my I, God, bet there, I bet there's, I bet right there's one within five town. miles. It says, at, this is at the tennis place. They have a pickleball club at my tennis club. <laughs> I've never seen this. <laughs> Boom. Whoa. <laughs> I think, hey, or Eric, I says, think wait, we've got a new. D- wait, wait, wait. To my defense. The club opened in 2020, so it opened during COVID. Oh. The first, it says, oh. <laughs> it didn't open till 2020. It says it's the first indoor pickleball facility that features five climate-controlled indoor courts and a spacious member lounge. So, I mean, it is new here because this is just open. Yeah. Here comes the excuses. Go ahead, what? tell the tell the excuses. <laughs> you got the sad. It just opened in COVID. Music. I haven't had a chance. Like, what? Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> well, there you, you go. Now you, you've got no excuse. Next, <laughs> next time we talk, I want to I want to hear your your stories about your pickleball ascendance. You're going to ascend the championship. Me, Jay. What are you talking I, about? You bet. I'm, <laughs> I I absolutely will. I want to. It is fun. Oh I played God. it a couple. I took. A, I actually took a couple lessons. So oh, cool. uh, yeah. yeah. So I I, I yeah, yeah. We've got a court um, just about five minutes from my house. 
So nice. Oh my God, I'm so stoked now. I got something yeah. to do. <laughs> there like, you I've been go. looking for something to do. This is indoors. Like I, I get antsy because I can't walk outside. You know, I'm, I'm usually real avid out to can't play tennis. I won't play tennis inside. I'm weirdo like that. So yeah, wow. no, this is your you this guys. is your deal. This is definitely this, this is, is your new thing. game. There you oh. go. This is even better there you than go. Cornhole. So Jay, what did we not touch on here that we want to get out there? for you guys before we wrap this up since we're running out of time. Yeah, I see that. I don't know. I think we did a pretty good job of covering all the bases. Mm-hmm. There's something that's sticking out. Caroline, you have anything that's bumping out of your head that I can't no, think of anything. We talk so much I have one last thing I want to say. It's it's really more along the lines of thinking about a project and where you want to spend your money. You know, what happens sometimes is people will, they have a budget and they start getting all these different ideas and they start whittling down their budget. And then when they get to the, the very most important thing, which is what I call the decoration side, all right? And the way I make an analogy is this, that I want you to think about the, the, the walls and ceilings and floor in your home as the skin on your body, right? We want to take mm-hmm. care of our skin. Very important. It's our largest organ. Similarly, when you're in a house, you don't want to run out of money when you're doing the skin, all right? That's where you got to take care of business, right? So you want to use the safest possible things on your skin, just like you would on the skin of your body. You want to do the same thing. So don't run out of money at the end, all right? Make sure that you're budgeting to do all those decorative things with the safest coatings you can find, whether it's AFM or any other coating you believe in. That's where you want to make sure you don't cut corners. Don't compromise on your skin. Don't compromise on your skin. That's all I have to say. Where do people find you? Well, you go to afmsafecoat.com. AFM stands for American Formulating and Manufacturing. AFMSafeCoat.com. And then you'll see everything that we talk about, our history, our mission, our dealers, all of our products are listed on the products pull-down menus. Um, They can look at all that and and they can decide uh, where they want to start, what they want to start with. They can get samples. I mentioned earlier, there are two ounce samples available on all of our product, except our caulk and glue, because that comes in tubes. You can't get a sample, you have to buy a whole tube. But all the coatings, the liquid coatings, all come in a little two ounce bottle, which is really great for making sure that you're going to tolerate our chemistry. And I tell people, even if you're not using Safe Coat, get a sample from the other brand. I don't care who it is. Get a sample. Make sure that when you bring it into your home, you're going to be okay with it. Because the last thing you want to do is do a whole job and find out you can't live there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then they have to call you to come fix it. They do. Or they'll call me, and then I'll call Jay. <laughs> they call Carolyn. Exactly. Carolyn Carol takes care of it. So if I if I if I spiel, if I spin the wheel of fortune, and what I get truth oh. or dare, if I get oh, truth wanna, or dare, not a guy. This is going to happen. Oh, I'm bringing it up here. It this is going to be funny. So. <laughs> I, I know on, we're running I'm out under- of time, but we may have to I see know, what okay, this is we about. We can do this. I'm bringing it up here. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. I have to go get the, uh, it's kind of like on Wheel of Fortune. Actually, it's on The Price is Right where they got to pull out the wheel. I got to mm-hmm. I gotta pull it out of the back here real quick. So let me grab it and right then we here. Have, uh, but then you got to watch, Jay. There's pay the co-host, which means we yeah, no, there's, there's a risk here, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's risk when you want to play the wheel. Well, will you will you take paint in exchange for cash? Yes, we take paint. We take we take take booze. We take food. (laughs) Chocolate. There we go. All right, let's spin the wheel. Spin it. (laughs) Kitchen. Kitchen. That's funny. Gotta tell a kitchen story. 
You got to talk kitchen. Well, story. that's we've never had a kitchen, so that's kind of fun. Well, no. don't step don't step into the pickleball kitchen. <laughs> there you go. Boom. <laughs> you got it. There you go. That well was easy, done, man. Well, well done. <laughs> that was easy. That was easy. That was easy. Hey. See, we didn't have truth or dare. We didn't have. Now, the fun one would have been wine cellar because that would have been kind Ooh. of fun. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Dangerous since we all have to go back to work. So. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Jay, thanks for coming on today, man. You have been great been so great and so informative. Uh, my, my pleasure. Thank really enjoyed it. We'll do Happy it again sometime. Yeah. Yes. Yep, we will. We will. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the, the House. house. Anywhere beyond the mean Life is a love song, let's be lovers We're all over the radio Take my hand, I know where to go All over the radio with you Hey, it's Eric G. from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out Millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's Millboard.com.